There had been abuse in my family, but it was mostly musical in nature. Lover's Lament crap. I want something peppy, something happy, something up-tempo. I want something snappy. Warpaint is an all-female band from Los Angeles that mixes rock and dance to create a sound all their own. I'm Greg Cott. And I'm Jim DeRogatis. Warpaint joins us in the studio for a live performance. Then veteran rocker Neil Young is back with a new album, and I drop a quarter in the Desert Island Jukebox. That's all coming up on Sound Opinions. This is Sound Opinions, and Greg, I know you recall fondly, so do I, our trip two years ago to Jack White's Third Man Complex down in Nashville, Tennessee. You remember that uh, phone booth-looking thing in the corner? Yeah, that was pretty cool. 35 cents, you you sit in the booth, you record your sounds uh, on guitar or vocals, and you come out with a vinyl album. Well, guess who used that booth? Neil Young, to make an extremely interesting new lo-fi record that we'll review later in the show. But first, some music news. Well, you ask me if I'll forget my baby I guess I will someday I don't like it, but I guess things happen that way Greg, that's a little bit of the man in black, Johnny Cash, who has a new fan who just cannot get enough of his music. This is actually a science story. It comes from the journal Frontier in Behavioral Neuroscience. There were three scientists in the Netherlands who were trying to solve a 60-year-old man's obsessive-compulsive disorder, and they gave him this electrical stimulation called deep brain stimulation. A byproduct was discovered, perchance, when he turned on the radio and heard a Johnny Cash song, Ring of Fire. He had never liked Johnny Cash in the past. Suddenly, he became a Johnny Cash superfan. He has since purchased every DVD and CD with any note of Cash's music on it, and every time he listens to anything by Cash, he has enormous pleasure. The conclusion of this study is really remarkable. Together, these findings demonstrate involvement of the nucleus accumbens in the rewarding properties of music and suggest that deep brain stimulation may alter musical preference. What does this mean in English? It's possible that with a little bit of scientific zapping to your head, you can suddenly like music that you never liked before. You might be able to get me to like Bruce Springsteen, all right? I might be able to get everybody on this staff to listen to Elvis's That's What the Fox Says and suddenly realize it's a great song. This is revolutionary, or it's a clockwork orange. I can't decide. It's a little scary. Let's throw this out to our listeners. What do you think of this discovery, and how would you use this innovation? Give us a call at 
That is Caleb Johnson, 23-year-old North Carolina singer, the winner of this year's American Idol contest. Jim, I know you've been paying close attention. That is a song called The Edge of Glory by Lady Gaga, of course. But really, people have been associating him with one meatloaf. That's an insult to meatloaf, I think. (laughs) Well, meatloaf is actually taking it in great spirits. Not only does Caleb Johnson resemble meatloaf, but meatloaf has been getting congratulatory messages on his Facebook page. He's complimenting Johnson, saying it's great to see him tearing it up and putting some real rock and roll back on primetime TV. But I think Caleb Johnson missed a huge opportunity here in not covering Meatloaf's hot patootie, Bless My Soul. However, Johnson may redeem himself yet again. He has been talking, perhaps jokingly, but he's talking about possibly remaking Rocky Horror Picture Show with him in a starring role. So we'll see if that happens. Well, no one is ever going to replace Meatloaf as far as I'm concerned, uh, Greg. But speaking of song contests, we have one more capper to this year's Eurovision coverage. It seems like Russia, petulant that its artists got booed on stage because of events in the Ukraine, and that a drag singer, a bearded lady, won the top prize, uh, is now considering having not one but two of its own Eurovision alternatives? Yeah, you're right, Jim. This uh, drag queen singer, Conchita Wurst from Austria, won the Eurovision contest earlier this month. And now Russia is in an outrage. They're promoting not one but two alternatives. They're supposed to be a cleaned-up version of Eurovision, an alternative to bearded Eurovision, as the defense ministry is saying. So there's going to be a children and youth song contest in the next couple of weeks. And in the fall, they're planning another song contest called Intervision that's seen as having a similar vision to Eurovision that is going to start in Sochi. Even Vladimir Putin has been on record as criticizing Worst as the winner. He says that she's putting her lifestyle up for show and that it is important to, quote-unquote, uphold traditional values. But it's interesting that the Russian public doesn't agree. They voted uh, Worst third overall in the voting. And the guy who wrote the song for the Russian entry in Eurovision, a guy by the name of Philip Kirkorov, said, let's respect the winner. It doesn't matter if they have a beard or not, if they're a man or a woman. Perhaps the result is a protest against our views in Russia. Perhaps it should make us consider whether we should be so extreme in our attitudes towards sexual minorities and to people of different nationalities. Listening to Sound Opinions, and that's a song called High from the band Warpaint and their self titled album released earlier this year. Warpaint's Emily Kokel and Teresa Wayman on guitar and vocals, Jenny Lee Lindbergh on bass, and drummer Stella Mazgua. Now, the band came together on Valentine's Day 2004 with Jenny's sister, actress Shannon Sossaman, originally on drums. They took three years before releasing their first EP and took another three before releasing their first album, The Fool. Their new one, the self-titled album, is their best work yet, incorporating the addition of Stella Mazgua's incredible drumming with production by two pretty high-profile guys, Flood and Nigel Godrich. 
It's a showcase for all their many influences. Classic rock, disco, electronica, R&B. Jim, this is one of those groups that makes rock really danceable. No doubt about it, Craig. And when Warpaint was on tour earlier this year, they stopped by our studios. I began the conversation by asking Emily and Teresa, who became friends in the sixth grade choir class, what sparked their mutual interest in music. The harmonies and how challenging it was to sing against the melody. For like the sopranos usually take the melody and I was always an alto, so I got most interesting parts. <laughs> so Teresa was the alto, and Emily, what were you? I was as well an alto. And did you guys just start singing outside of the choir practice? And Yeah, we did. We walked to school together, and we would sing songs. We auditioned for the talent show and didn't get in. Oh. Um, <laughs> we also had the most amazing choir teacher, Oregon. Um, Eugene has really great arts program. Mm-hmm. did then. So um, we were really challenged from a young age. I want to know what songs you were singing together when you were walking to school in the morning. In the jungle. Away. Oh, yeah. Away. Yes, that works. It was when The Lion King came out. Those movie soundtracks are cool for some of those kids' movies because they do take you back to uh, some of the original cool songs. Like, uh, yeah. I think Shrek had Hallelujah, the Leonard Cohen song. Mm-hmm. My daughter was fascinated yeah. by that when she was like seven or eight. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you do learn some good stuff. So was it, was it in, your, in the back of your heads that someday this would become, music would become your life or... When did that become apparent to you that you were going to do this? Well, we both, we moved to New York um, or to the East Coast when we were 18. So we kind of set off together, wanting to do something creative in in the arts. So you're in New York, and I understand, Jenny, you get involved here at this point, right? Not in New York, in L.A. Somehow they were summoned back to L.A. to be in a band with you, right? Is that kind (laughs) of the story so far? They put a spell on them. Yeah, I met Jen when when I moved back, and it was love at first sight, 19 years old. And then we kind of started hanging out as friends, and Teresa ended up moving in with Shannon, Jen's sister. And then we kind of formed a band from there. Historic moment, Valentine's Day 2004. This is your crossroads. This is your Robert Johnson crossroads moment. (laughs) The day the four of you first jammed together, right? So tell me, true story, (laughs) and and what happened that day? This. For hours, something. It was like four chords. I think that's what, what it was, actually. Uh-huh. I think we realized in that moment that there was something we could, you know, we could start, had a starting off point with, you know, how new we all were at music. We were playing enough that, um, I don't know, we kind of started to create our own language. That's what I'm asking about, because I, I don't think you sound very typical. Uh, you, you've sort of div- invented a vocabulary for bass, drums, and guitar that, you know, isn't that typical. There's no blues chords, for example. Or It, it sounded like you were, you were definitely going for something unique. Was that a conscious decision, or was just the energy of four people being in the same room together at the same time, and here's what came out? It's the alchemy of us, I think. I think that's why we were drawn to each other <clears throat> musically is because we liked the way that we all approached it and when we got together when we played it was something that we all wanted to be hearing and didn't really get that with other people mm-hmm. were there any sonic touch tones i mean you know not 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 derivatively but you know greg and i can sit here as as encyclopedic rock critic and say <laughs> oh that's a little bit of cocteau twins or that's a little <laughs> bit of that 90s shoegaze vibe or were there were there records that were always on rotation in your shared apartments I guess there was, but not. I don't hear that in our music. Mm. Yeah. Each of us kind of growing up in different places and being inspired and influenced by different music when we were growing up. I hear that 
And I also think that that probably adds to the uniqueness of our music is because we're each coming from a different place. Yeah. It makes it sound more eclectic. Well, why don't we get a song before we go much further in this chat? Uh, mm-hmm. what, what are you going to play for us? Keep it healthy. Excellent.
Let's keep it healthy from War Paint live on Sound Opinions. After the break on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and PRX, more songs and conversation from the band. Then, Jim and I review the new Neil Young covers album, A Letter Home. Welcome back to Sound Opinions. I'm Greg Cott with my co-host Jim DeRigatis, and we've been speaking with the Los Angeles band Warpaint. Now, the band started back in 2004 and took three years before it released its first EP, Exquisite Corpse, in 2007. Then it took another three years to release its first proper album, The Fool, in 2010, and another three to release their latest self-titled album. Now, you know, in this age of putting things out to the public instantaneously, This is a band that likes to take its time. So during our conversation, I asked singer and guitarist Emily Kokel about their deliberate music-making process. I mean, there's really, there's different reasons for each one of those three-year periods. I think in the beginning, we really were just, like, gestating and, like, learning our sound, taking our time just to become a band that thought, who was ready to play, something we were proud of, you know, and... We also took a year off in that, mm-hmm. at that point. And then when we made the EP, we went through so many cha- changes. Shannon left the band. I think there's four drummers on that EP. And so we were really writing for a while, writing The Fool, and then we got Stella 30 days before we made it. Okay. So <laughs> she's a master. Um, and then, you know, we've just been touring that album so much. We toured over 300 shows. In, I think two and a half years. Yeah, and so um, we did take. We didn't actually take that much time to start writing. We started writing two months after we broke for tour from tour, mm-hmm. and then Flood was a little bit busy, and we took some time. But I guess we are kind of. Um, I do. I do like the fact the way you put it. I guess I think that we've always wanted to be really proud of what we're doing, and and there is a little bit of that confidence that. We can just do it at our own pace, on mm-hmm. our own terms. Mm-hmm. It seemed to have paid off. I mean, it was a unique sound. I think people were attracted to that right from the start, especially with The Fool, your first album, 2010. Stella came in, you said, to th- uh, just before that recording. 
you skipped a step in here. I think Jeff Travis was involved inside <laughs> you guys, right? And you were still a fairly young band. Uh, that's actually a big part of how Stella joined the band. We were at dinner with Rough Trade in New York. We were doing the CMJ Festival, and basically them signing us was contingent upon <clears throat> them seeing us live. So it was kind of nerve-wracking, and we had had a... Our friend Quinn was drumming for us, and so we didn't have a permanent drummer at that time. So we went to dinner with them, and... They told us that they, you know, we obviously needed, they wanted to sign us, that they were going to sign us, but that we needed to find a drummer. So I got on the phone with her and I didn't really know her that well. I don't even know how I had your number, actually. I don't know why. I think maybe Emily gave it to me. (laughs) 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 I don't know where. But yeah, I called her up and just basically asked her if she wanted to join our band. Make the album. Oh, make the album. Yeah. Yeah. I said, do you want to record the album with us? And I said, yes. The rest is history. We had that breakfast too. We a few months before we yeah. we went out to breakfast, and I was like, "Would you ever want to not make any money?" Yeah, she was a session. <laughs> it drummer. was a totally unsolicited interview that I was having. I didn't. I thought we were just having a friendly chat, but she was testing me. Yeah. Well, Stella, I say this as a, a not good drummer at all, but you are an extraordinary drummer. And That's and what nice. what were you doing before? Uh, <laughs> they said session work and yeah, session work and and touring. It's just a touring musician. and Well, mention some of the bands that yeah. you've played with. Yeah, fill us in. It's radio. Um, before Warpaint or just yeah, in general? Yeah, before Warpaint, yeah. Um, a lot of Australian bands. This band called Regurgitator. I played with a girl called Lenka for a while. And I actually, one of the reasons why I met the girls is because I made a record with Flea from mm. the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Mm-hmm. Like, like one of the best bassists in yeah, ever. Yeah, sick bassist. Right, so if you can keep up with him... Yeah. Wasn't well, D- I'm keeping up with her now, yeah. so that's well, yeah, a challenge. Uh, no slight. No slight. <laughs> Devo, too. Was that in there somewhere? Uh, I did. I've worked with Mark Mothersbaugh. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, unknown band from L.A., basically, mm-hmm. had not made their first album yet, and yet you, you go all in with this band. What made yeah, you it wasn't was all a- in yeah. straight away. Okay. It was, do you want to make an album with us, which sounded like so much fun, and mm-hmm. I was kind of tired of, of being a technician. I wanted to be creative, so... I think it was like a really good opportunity and, you know, they were open to my suggestions. Yeah, the cool thing about playing with Stella is that even though she's technically really proficient, she also approaches it approaches music kind of similarly, similarly to the way we do, not coming from real technical standpoints, you know, and it felt like when we played with her, it kind of did feel like that first time when we all played together with Shannon as well. So instinctual. Yeah, Teresa. really instinctual and intuitive. Um, yeah, and, you know, I was just like, before I met that these ladies, I was I would play music with people, and they would usually wow me before we played with their, uh, their knowledge of, you know, like chords or instruments and just technical things. And so I, I would just assume that they were going to be amazing to play with. But then once, mm-hmm. once we actually did get down to playing, it was, like, boring yeah. and derivative and um, nothing new, you know? So anyway, shout that's out that, to those people. That's that. Going, <laughs> that's that when you when you go to the guitar center on a Saturday afternoon because you need some strings and and, and all these jerks are just yeah. sitting there with their tasty licks up yeah. and down the bar, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so Stella has flavor. That was nice. Jenny, before we get away from from that backstory, uh, you, your sister Shannon, her name's come up several times, and she was playing this record, and she was this was her idea, this was that idea. She's a very successful actress. I mean, she had to leave the band right because she was. Making money. <laughs> yeah, I think she had too many things to juggle at that point. She also had has a son. Well, she has two sons now. Okay. There was just too much going on. 
Right. And I think the three of us were ready to really dive in and be prepared for, you know, what was to come or what, what wasn't to come. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and she needed some. <laughs> what was to come later and later. Estella was just getting her feet wet on, on recording The Fool, the gestation of, of this new album. Um, I, I've been dying to get to this question. I, I've seen a couple of interviews you've done, and you had, you had a mantra that you kept repeating about what this self-titled War Paint album would be, and it was sexy. Mm-hmm. Sexy, sexy, sexy. That was the goal. What do you mean by that loaded word? Um, Emily? Sensual as well as sexy. It's um, just in your body and feeling the music. Um, Jen doesn't want to play anything that doesn't move her to dance. N- none of us do, but I think she's the coiner of that sexy phrase. And, yeah. um, you know, it's just because we're not outright dance music, that kind of kept us, keeps us in focus of what we want to emote. Even like just of the senses and sensuality versus of the head and, um, you know, technical. It was like we wanted to move. With our music, we wanted to enjoy playing our music and have that movement and move people, even if it's not outright four on the floor. Although sometimes it is. Yeah. Okay. Sometimes that's nice. I well, think that's well said. Let's uh, let let's let's make Jeff Travis of Rough Trade. We mentioned him before. Let's make him happy and play a song. What are you going to play? Is it going to be sexy? And what are you going to play? <laughs> what are yeah. we going to play? Love is to die. Right on. Cool. Right on. What could be sexier than love is to die?
Beautiful stuff. War paint with love is to die here on Sound Opinions. I'm Jim Deergatis. My partner is Greg Cott. We are talking to Emily, Teresa, Jenny, and Stella of the band. Wow, what a treat. Great Thanks stuff. Thanks for having us. All right, so another of these names that kind of just flew by casually before was Flood. Flood produced this album, the self-titled War Paint, your second record. Uh, you know, worked with Smashing Pumpkins, Nine Inch Nails, yada, 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 PJ yada, yada. Harvey. PJ Harvey. Nick Cave, you too. And then, you know, because it's not enough to have him produce and mix, Nigel Godrich comes in to mix the record. Uh, radio, no? Two songs. two songs. Oh, just a mere two songs. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Nevertheless, we ain't hanging out with names like that. What was it like? Uh, what, was there any... Intimidation, not 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 because they're stars or anything, but because you have such an intimate way of working, and then this other person comes in. Well, Flood is amazing at coming in and you know softening the edges. I would say he's so he comes from such an engineering background as well, and I think one of the things he does so well is he's he makes you really comfortable mm. with his presence and kind of calm. He's got a really calm. Don't stress, don't freak out energy about him, which really helps. And I think we really, we sent him some songs um, before we even started working with him. Mm -hmm. And his feedback was really in alignment with how we were already feeling. And he didn't come in and try to put like a producer sprinkle on everything. You know, he came in. So you got the sense, Emily, that you were already on the same page. Yeah, he just, he really infused it with. The calming thing makes sense too, right, Craig? If you can work with both Reznor and Corgan, <laughs> you can probably do anything. Well, I, I actually saw him working with with the Pumpkins and Corgan at the height of his megalomania, and it was it was interesting because you're right; he's a very even keeled guy, and exactly what a band would need in a high stress situation. Yeah. But it's interesting. You brought up the sensuality, the sexiness. You know, I noticed that when I saw you guys play uh, between these two albums, the rhythms 
you were grooving. You know, the, the audience was responding more. And I didn't hear that as much on that record, The Fool. It seemed like it came out more on the road, and you brought mm-hmm. some of that into this record. Totally. Yeah. We never wrote with Stella from the ground up either, so that's huge. Mm-hmm. Oh, so for all four of you, this is a very collaborative process. Uh, 100%. Yes. 100%. Wow. That's hard to write songs with four people in, in the mix, right? We're a democracy of dictators. <laughs> <laughs> it's a beautiful record, the War Paint uh, self-titled second album. Um, let's hear another song. Oh, yeah. Ready? Just what I wanted. I didn't like the force. 
Disco Vary from War Paint on Sound Opinions. I'd like to thank uh, Emily, Teresa, Jenny, and Stella of War Paint for being our guest today on Sound Opinions. Thanks so much. Thank, thank you for having us. To watch videos of War Paint or to catch up on previous episodes of the show, visit our website, soundopinions.org. If you have a comment on War Paint or anything else in the musical universe, call 888-859-1800. Coming up, we review the new album from Neil Young, and I drop a quarter in the Desert Island Jukebox. Welcome back to Sound Opinions. I'm Greg Cott with Jim DeRogatis, and that is Neil Young, scratchy voice and all, covering Bert Yonch's Needle of Death from his new album, A Letter Home. This is Neil Young's 35th studio album, going back to the late 60s, and none of them are quite like this one. Now, everybody knows Young's one of rock's greatest rock and rollers and also one of its most eccentric. He's done some experimental work in the past. My favorite, Jim, was in 2003 when he put out that rock opera, Greendale, and said, I made it up and I don't know what the hell is going on. So don't feel bad if you feel a little out of it with this. No one really knows. (laughs) And I think the words apply when we're talking about this new record. Now, let me put it in context. In the last few years especially... He's really going back and exploring his past, the roots of his music. There's been a ton of archival recordings coming out. He's released the first in a projected series of box sets covering his entire career. There was that memoir that he put out in 2012 called Heavy Peace. In that same year, he recorded an album of vintage folk songs with Crazy Horse called Americana. Now we have A Letter Home. He's revisiting songs written by people like Gordon Lightfoot, Bob Dylan, Tim Harden, Phil Oaks, Burt Yanch, and other artists who influenced his development on the Toronto folk scene in the early to mid-60s. It sounds like it was recorded in a phone booth, which it essentially was. You'd mentioned that at the top of the show, that we'd been to Jack White's Third Man Records recording studio in Nashville. 
and Young recorded the entire record on this 1940s voiceograph booth, which once allowed users to take home a vinyl record of a song or a message they wanted to give to mom. Young thought this was a really cool idea. Let's make the whole record on this device. So here's a track from A Letter Home. It's called Girl from the North Country, written by Bob Dylan, of course, by Neil Young on Sound Opinions. If you're traveling in the North Country Fair Where the wind hits heavy on the borderline Remember me to one who lives there She once was a true love of mine If you go with a snowflake star When the rivers freeze in the summer ends He see for me, she has a coat so warm To keep her from that howling from the North Country as rendered by Neil Young, the Bob Dylan song from A Letter Home. Greg, it's not an easy listen, A Letter Home. You know, it it is recorded in a phone booth. Just Neil, his vocals, his guitar, and the harmonica thing wrapped around his neck. Very low-fi, but charmingly so. I mean, I for some reason, I'm not making this up, I prefer Neil Young on vinyl. I'm not that way about any other artist, but he just sounds right on vinyl. And the irony here is that he gave that high-profile speech at South by Southwest just a couple of months ago, hyping this new Pono hi-fi system. And here he goes, makes the lowest-fi recording of his career. I think this record is an improvement on Americana in 2012, even though Crazy Horse was on that album, and they can do no wrong, just because, you know, songs by Phil Oakes and the Everly Brothers and Dylan and Tim Harden certainly beat Coming Round the Mountain and Oh Susanna. But but as a, as a look at where Neil came from and the bridge between the early music of this last century and, and where he would take it in the last century and in the new millennium, it's a fascinating record, and Neil Young is a treasure. I say it's a buy-it for sure. 
Yeah, Jim, he's uh, eccentric for sure. He records things exactly the way he wants them, even if they're almost indecipherable. I mean, a lot of people are going to hear this record and be turned off right away by the sound of it. But I do think there's some worthiness to it. This is almost like time traveling for him. You know, this oral scrapbook of where he was as a kid in the early to mid-60s, coming up and hearing these songs for the first time. It almost feels like a message from that era, like a younger Neil speaking to himself and us right now. So it's got this eerie quality, and the lo-fi, sub-lo-fi recording sort of speaks to that. It gives it a warmth, but also this spookiness that's coming through in a lot of these tracks. I think it's a great exercise to, to hear his inspirations being recorded so faithfully by him, but at the same time, I don't think it's an essential Neil Young recording by any stretch. For me, it's a try-it record. I tell you, little buddy, this whole island is bewitched. Remember, we were shipwrecked together. As often as possible, we like to pop a quarter in the Desert Island jukebox and play a song we cannot live without. And Jim, this week it's your turn. Greg, a couple of weeks ago I was visiting our friends at The Current in Minneapolis, and laying around the studio was a new reissue of an album that I loved in the 80s that I considered an indie rock classic. You know, I was coming up in New Jersey, and this band, when they would travel from Minneapolis to the New York, New Jersey area, were every bit as important to me as the replacements and Husker do, though I dare say few people remember Tet Noir. Now, having lived in Minneapolis, I'll tell you, it's a sea of blonde heads everywhere. And here was this band with a French name meaning the Blackheads. They were six women with jet black hair. Performance artists, they had come from the indie underground, comedians, feminists, and they did this a cappella music with a few things thrown in, a little bit of wheezing, a garage rock organ, a little bit of guitar, a lot of hand claps, okay? And, it, and it, they, they, the songs were somewhere between performance art and comedy and killer indie rock. I saw them a half dozen times in the 80s, and I absolutely loved their first full album, The New American Dream. Lo and behold, it has recently been remastered and reissued by these women independently as a tribute to guitarist Polly Alexander, who died in 2005. And I think that this music stands up incredibly well. The wit and the warmth and and the crazy, like anything can happen on stage, spirit of Tet Noir lives in these grooves. And it's great to have this recording out again. If you've never heard this, really check it out on the web. There's a bunch of YouTube clips and there's music streaming. This was a great band that doesn't get its due from the 80s. The song is called True Love, and it's uh, one young woman's account of every rotten relationship, (laughs) you know, starting from little boys on the playground all the way up into college that she has had up to that point in her life. Now, 25 years later, there's probably many more to add, but I think this tune stands as something brilliant. It's True Love by Tet Noir on Sound Opinions.
Noir with True Love, remixed and remastered on Sound Opinion's My Desert Island Jukebox pick. Greg, what do we have on the show next week? Next week, Jim, we're going to be the rock doctors and help another musical patient. Sound Opinions is produced by Jason Saldana and Robin Lynn, our production assistant, Anthony Martinez, and our intern, Jake Smith. On Sound Opinions, everyone's a critic. So now it's time to hear what you have to say. New messages. Hi, this is Dan Bergioni from Chicago. And in response to your Memorial Day show, a song that always comes to mind is the song The Gunner's Dream by Pink Floyd, which is, I think, one of the most powerful anti-war songs ever written. You can relax on both sides of the tracks and maniacs. Don't blow holes in bandsmen by remote control. The Gunner's Dream is this touching lament about what the world should be and what the world is, and I think no song more poignantly captures the futility of war and the, the absence of hope that war leaves in its wake than that song. No one kills the children anymore Hi, it's Tammy Lassico in Nashville, Tennessee. I would just like to say that there's not a lot of songs that I can think of about women in the military, but my aunt was a wave in the military, and she just turned 90 years old last week. So maybe somebody out there can think of um, some songs that remind them not just of fighting soldiers, but also about the women who were in the military. She's a hero in her hometown When she walks in 
Hey guys, this is Saul from Marietta, California. Regarding your show on the Memorial Day songs for veterans, one that I always liked was 1981's Sammy Hagar album, Remember the Heroes, which was a song about veterans coming back from war and especially the Vietnam time where soldiers weren't always looked upon as heroes, kind of spat on when they came back home when controversial war, so... wanted to mention that one and uh, doing a great job and keep up the good work guys thanks hi my name is Keith I'm calling about the Memorial Day songs uh, Steve Earle's Dixieland. It's an alternate history of the Civil War in three verses. It walks you through the Irish immigrants who uh, left the rebellion of the late 1850s and came and signed up for places in the Union Army. It talks about the 20th Maine and their band at the Battle of Gettysburg. It's a wonderful song that talks about not just that these men were in the Army, but how being in the Army made them American. And, uh, I think it's a great song. So, thanks. Bye. No more messages. To share your opinions on Sound Opinions, call 888-859-1800. We'll be back next week on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and distributed by PRX.